Hey guys, Liz Wheeler here. I hope you enjoyed Friday's episode with Dr. Miriam Grossman as much as I did. She is such a phenomenal person, and so I was engrossed listening to her. We ended up talking for so much longer than we had planned that I have extra parts of her inter- of the interview that I did with her to show you today. So here you go. John Money had forever damaged these two boys uh, so profoundly. Uh, the twin who who was not, you know, the other twin, the twin that was raised as a boy ended up uh, overdosing on opioids. And then a few years later, David, uh, David committed suicide. He shot himself. Now, so, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this. Uh, and one is how an arrogant psychopathic doctor can have such an impact, not only on this family, but on the entire you know, on the entire profession of psychology, psychiatry, uh, human development. I mean, his, you know, his theory was accepted as fact because David only came out and told his story in 1999. So in all those decades, and the reason why David told his story actually is because he found out that John Money had presented his story as a success. He, John Money had presented to the world that, that he, David, was a well-adjusted, happy young woman. And David was just shocked and very disturbed to hear that. And he did not want to see any other boys go through what he had gone through. And so after all those decades, he came out. But you know what? It wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. It, 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 you know, this, this theory of, of gender and this idea that we have a psychological sex that trumps our, our physical, biological sex, it just took hold and it permeates. It did permeate and it, well, now it's, it's absolutely, you know, this narrative is, you know, as you know, it's, it's just, completely taken over nearly everything. And it's extremely troubling to me. I mean, for me as a child psychiatrist, as a doctor, as just as a mom, as a grandmother, I mean, the fact that these ideas that came from a disturbed man that essentially, you know, he had his own gender dysphoria, John Money did. He writes about how he was uncomfortable with his genitals. So this theory that he had, that you can separate sex, biological sex, from, from, from the sex that you feel yourself to be emotionally or in your mind, that was a theory that he needed himself to feel better. And I talk about that in the book as well. But here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. The foundation of all of this, of this gender identity, and the idea that there are people, children that are born quote unquote, in the wrong bodies. And that therefore those bodies have to be realigned with their minds and put through this process of medical interventions and surgical interventions. It's all based on fraudulent research. It's all, I mean, the, the study, the, what happened with the twins, that was supposed to have been John Money's proof of concept, right? 
that was that is what he pointed to as proof of his theory that there is such a thing as a psychological sex. Now, I am not saying that there aren't very rare individuals who do have a debilitating condition in which they experience their bodies as just not being the right sex. And that is a a, a, a very difficult condition to have. It is, and, and they deserve our understanding and our compassion. And are there instances in which those people should have access to these hormones and surgeries? Yes. I'm saying that there are instances, but they're extremely rare. And at the very least, we have to wait until adulthood. And we should not be introducing these ideas to very young kids that uh, sex is randomly assigned to them and that, th that it may be a mistake. That is a destabilizing uh, false idea that is only going to confuse children and, uh, and impact their mental health and their sense of uh, a stable identity. It's destabilizing. One of the oh, that was a long things rant. that stuck out to me. No, I, I'm fascinated. I was completely engrossed in what, you, in what you were saying. This is very important. Parents across the country are going to be so grateful to hear this. But one of the things that stuck out to me when, you were, when I was reading the part in your book about John Money, and not just the story of the twins. I mean, I, I choked up reading the story of those twins, even though I had heard the story before. But when you were talking about John Money's background and his own his own gender dysphoria, his own discomfort with his male genitals, you explained that he had been violently abused by his father and that he had suffered a trauma. And I wonder if you could explain to all of us some of the reasons, the psychological reasons or the traumatic reasons that feed into these disassociative feelings. Because a lot of, a lot of children aren't necessarily classic gender dysphoria cases. They might have other issues going on. So what are some of the other reasons that feed into it? And what does a properly ordered therapy to help those children look like? Okay, that's such a great question. So just returning to John Money, yeah. He had a father who was a raging alcoholic who had out of control you know, episodes, anger, uh, rage episodes, and he would take it out on John and his mother. So John was beaten by his father and, and he witnessed his mother being beaten as well. Now, John was a, um, a delicate boy. He was, he was small, um, he was not physically strong. He was a thoughtful child and no doubt um, he was terrified of his father. And yet his father was his only male uh, role model. So in his mind, in this little John's mind, um, this model of, of, you know, this, this monster of a person who would lose control, you know, get drunk, be out of control, beat him, beat his mother, um, kill animals. They lived on a farm. That was how he imagined a manhood to be. That was his model of being a man. He didn't see other kinds of men. He didn't, he didn't realize that there are men who are also kind and gentle and patient. So 
in his mind, he associated those horrible qualities in his father with being male. And then also in his mind, of course, he would associate that with his genitals. That's what made him male was his genitals. And so sometimes what happens, you know, in, in children, children can only tolerate. Um, and I mean, we adults also have a limited amount of, of emotions that, that we're able to tolerate, but we have much uh, higher degrees of, of, of being able to tolerate negative emotions such as fear, anger, sadness, you know, being overwhelmed. A child has a very limited capacity to, uh, to tolerate those feelings. And so what can sometimes happen is that when the mind can't tolerate those feelings or the heart, you could say, can't tolerate those feelings, they will put the feelings, so to speak, into the body. And so the, what happens is that you end up hating or, or rejecting a certain part of your body. So it makes sense that if, if John Money was being beaten regularly by this monster of a father and watching him do other awful things in which, you know, a child is overwhelmed. I mean, to be beaten, to watch your mother that you love being beaten, to watch animals being killed is going to generate emotions that are too, too big to navigate, too big to handle. And so, you know, the mind is kind of a weird and curious thing. The mind will take those emotions and put them in the body. And so, for example, you might find a girl who begins to develop breasts very early, earlier than her peers. She's the first girl in class. All the boys are staring at her. Men are staring at her. There may be family members that stare at her. Someone may fondle her breasts. Those, that experience, those feelings that she may have at that time might become so overwhelming that instead of being angry at other people and instead of being able to like sit down with someone and say how upset she is and cry or whatever, she takes those strong emotions and she puts them, so to speak, in her breasts and she hates her breasts and she's no longer so much thinking about the um, perpetrators of the bullying or the person that might've molested her and fondled her breasts. And in her mind, she's saying, oh, that was no big deal. But in the meantime, she has put all those negative emotions into her body and she hates, she has dysphoria around her breasts. So does that answer your question? I think so, because one thing I've observed is that you're the, you're the psychiatrist here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I've observed is that when there is gender dysphoria, it oftentimes displays earlier in life, and yet we have this epidemic of young teenage girls between 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, who have never displayed any signs of being uncomfortable in their bodies, but all of a sudden in early teenage years are jumping onto this bandwagon that all of a sudden they want to be a boy. And I wondered 
what kind of trauma plays into this. And when you're sitting with these people, when they're patients in your office, how does this therapy, how does this therapy work? Is it effective? Okay. Well, you see, we were talking a minute ago about the overwhelming emotions and how those emotions are put in the body, but you're bringing up something, something different. This is a, this is complex. There's a lot of things to talk about. What you brought up is the social, um, the social contagion part of it. So this new population that we have of kids, what we call rapid onset gender dysphoria, they never described any, pro they may have been the most girly girl that you can imagine. Okay. They may have been the most masculine boy that you can imagine. And then uh, suddenly over, over maybe just a few months or a half a year or a year, they might develop this gender dysphoria and come out with the announcement that they're the opposite sex. But you see, from studying these kids, and we've only recently started to study them, we know that there's a component of social contagion, meaning the, the social contagion is when feelings, beliefs, and behaviors can spread within a friend group. And that is why we're seeing entire like groups of friends of you know girlfriends coming into a planned parenthood together try and getting testosterone there's been a social contagion and when when one girl hears about her friend discussing this and hears about the possibility that you know that that a, that a boy could actually uh, that a girl could possibly be a boy and that there's this thing called socially and medically transitioning. And that, you see, she's led to believe that all of her issues of anxiety or depression, you know, harming herself, maybe being the, on the autism spectrum, she's led to believe by her friends, by her, you know, by people online. Uh, there's groomers online. There's people in school um, that may be telling her that the reason that you feel this way is because you are actually trans and you should seriously consider whether that might be the case. And so they plant that seed in her head. I will also add that when a kid comes out as transgender, in many, many cases, that is getting them uh, points in terms of their social status. Especially you have you know, white, middle and upper class heterosexual kids who are thought of as oppressors and they cannot change their race. They cannot change their uh, socioeconomic status. They cannot change their sexual orientation, but they can be non-binary. They can be transgender. And that's how they uh, shift from being an oppressor to being oppressed. That is what's going on partly with our kids. I will add though that uh, what I provide in my book is tools so that parents, for example, um, uh, can know how, know the, understand the importance and can step in and begin to get control of their child's internet use, and social media. It's mandatory, mandatory that parents, if you're going to give your kids a smartphone, 
if your kids are going to have access to the access to the internet, which of course they are, unless you're Amish, then you must be on top of what's going on in 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 their internet use. And I have an appendix written by uh, an expert on that field on getting control of your child's internet use. I also have two appendices written by brilliant attorneys who are experts in the field of parental rights in this area. So it provides information on how to put the schools on alert that your family is not going with this and you do not want your child exposed in the classroom or in any clubs or any events at school, you don't want your child learning about gender ideology. You do not permit any social transitioning at school, meaning new names, new pronouns, using the opposite sex bathrooms without your permission. Very important that parents understand they have to do this before this is playing out in their homes. Dr. Miriam Grossman, you are a phenom. Everyone, you guys, you have to get this book. It's it's Lost in Transnation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. We will post the link everywhere that this episode is posted. Dr. Grossman, thank you for writing this book. This is heavy stuff. This is necessary stuff. This gives parents the tools to prevent this from happening and tools to mitigate it if it does. This is, you have made a lot of people's families more whole today. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me.